0: Welcome back to another episode of the Catholic Buzz Podcast. So happy that you're joining us uh, today uh, for episode 59. And today we're going to be addressing uh, lots of questions that we haven't answered that have piled up over the last little while. So my name is Father Daniele, and I'm joined, as always, by the experts who have all the answers to your questions. It's Josh Sullivan and Matt Van Milligan. Welcome, you guys. And uh, this is the last episode before we take a little pause for the summertime, but please, Matt, don't be scared. We'll still talk over the summer. Okay. Okay? <laughs> I, I was concerned. Yeah, yeah I know. Yeah. How could we? How could I go a whole summer without talking to you, right? Uh, so we have uh, lots of questions uh, uh, that people have asked over the last, uh, well, number of months that we haven't really answered. Yeah. Uh, a lot of them or talked about, but we've been talking about lots of different topics uh, on the Catholic Buzz. So today we are doing, we're, and we haven't had, a speed round in so long like 40 episodes yeah like very yeah. long yeah, time long. we haven't had a speed round so we're doing a speed round and we're going to answer all the questions that we have outstanding well we're going to try to
1: yeah <laughs> and,
0: and as always with a speed round we always like to tell people that some of these questions deserve a longer answer but we're trying to get in as many answers as possible so we're going to do
1: our best to just uh touch the surface. And we might have talked about some of these before or explained in greater detail, but we can give a quick answer now, say go yeah. back, look at the podcast or quick answer now, go back and look at the catechism.
2: Yeah, yes,
1: exactly. And if there's other questions that come up uh, from our
0: topics today, then uh, people can continue to email us and we'll answer those questions when we come back
1: after the summer. We're going to do something big.
0: Well, when we come do back. something big when we come let's, back.
1: We'll figure something out. Like what? I don't know. I, I feel like it's going to be our 60th episode. The 60th episode. I come yeah. back September. It's yeah. going to be big. We'll have fun. We'll have all summer to think about it.
0: Mm. <laughs> we'll think of something. <laughs> okay. So Josh, you have the question. I do. So you're going to be directing those and I'm going to keep everyone on, uh, But what, a minute 30? Let's go a minute 30. We'll try and get in. Yeah, we'll try because then then we'll be done by
2: two two minutes. Yeah, standard (laughs) standard elevator ride.
0: Exactly, (laughs) yes. Okay, so uh, Josh, whenever you're ready, let's go for it.
1: Okay, I'm going to paraphrase some of these, but uh, very first question, boom, kind of pertains to us exactly. What saint relics are in the altar of Holy Name Hmm. of Jesus Church and St. Alphonsus? Okay, sure. yeah, we talked
0: about uh, relics on one episode, right? Yeah. And so this question came as a result of that. Uh, so as quick as possible, um, why are someone asking about relics, right? Every altar has an altar stone in it with the relics of a saint. Yeah. Uh, and that comes from the tradition where um, we used to celebrate, not we, but back in the day. Christians. Christians used to celebrate mass over the tomb of martyrs. Yeah. Uh, and so, in the catacombs. In the catacombs. Yeah. So that was preserved, right? So they would take a relic, or it could be a first-class relic, so a piece of their bone or a piece of uh, their, I don't know, yeah. could be a fingernail or their hair or yeah. something, uh, and it's put into an altar stone. looks like a marble slab, yeah. and every altar has this marble slab with this relic in it. So we did look up uh, who are those saints that we have, at, in our own parish community here at Holy Name of Jesus and St. Alphonsus. So uh, at St. Alphonsus Church in Calendar, we have St. Zenon and Companion. So St. Zenon was a third century saint Wow, in Rome. Cool. Okay, yes, and he died, of mar- he died a martyr's death during the Christian persecutions. Mm-hmm. And his relic is in the altar stone at St. Alphonsus oh, in Calendar. Cool. I know, very cool, okay? And just when you thought, that's cool, he's not the only one in the altar stone at okay. St. Alphonsus. <laughs> yeah, He had to shove over because there's room for one more. It's St. Vier. <laughs> and St. Saint, oh. is saint we don't know a lot about her. Okay, female saint. Uh, she's a Roman martyr and uh, we don't know a lot about her, but she was extracted from the catacombs in Rome and transferred to Montreal at the request of the Bishop of Montreal in 1843. <laughs> and then her relics ended up in the altar stone at St. Alphonsus in Calendar. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, so there's St. Zenon and St. Jeanvier at St. Alphonsus in Calendar. There is an altar stone at Holy Name of Jesus, and we are in the middle of still researching it. And try to find it because it's not documented, it's not labeled, we can't find it in mm. our archives. Uh, so, we're working with the diocesan archives right now to figure out who's in the altar, so that holy name of Jesus. So, we don't know that yet. That's pretty wow. cool.
1: Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, next question. When we recite the Nicene Creed, one of the phrases is on the third day he rose again. When the word again is used, it usually means that this has happened before. I've always wondered when did Jesus rise before?
2: Um, the the really quick answer to that is that he didn't, but that's not really satisfying for the <laughs> the, the word use. Um, and I think like uh, everyone at some point has kind of like been given pause by like rose again. Like w- what does that mean? Um, and there so in 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 kind of my looking into this, uh, there are kind of two explanations and like the most uh, straightforward for me um, is that uh, just just doing kind of language study um, that you know classical languages have a lot fewer words than modern languages modern languages are much more precise um, and you have a lot more words in english than you initially had in latin and in greek um, and much more so in in hebrew uh, hebrew and aramaic they're like um, uh, substantially fewer words Um, so the way that it was kind of initially used is that uh, rose again um, the, the word "again" there is uh, the, the root word that's often trans, translated as anew. or so um, he, he was risen to new life. He was uh, uh, he was renewed in life. So um, um, that it's not a sequential understanding of again, like this happened before and it's happening again. It's that he's been, you know, uh, he's arisen to new life. He's
0: alive anew. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Um, and the other explanation is actually. Uh, um, and from my early 20s so I, I have to work to kind of remember it um, <laughs> that there's there's actually an, uh, uh, a translation issue that has to do with Greek and Latin syntax that Greek and Latin as languages have different orderings of words um, so that um, this presumably uh, would have initially been something that was passed on in oral tradition either in Aramaic or in Greek yeah. um, that it, it w- and it would read something like he was risen to new life or um, he rose again to life, like he rose to life again. So yeah. the, the again would be modifying life, whereas um, yeah, a, a, a translation to that into Latin, which ended up becoming the liturgical language. So like this is this is where our, where we uh, how it comes to us mm-hmm. um, is that the the order of words that That's again like that. Uh, modifies rose yeah. rather than life. Life, yeah.
0: Okay. Thanks for that. And yeah. I, I just love how, like, you're like, you know, the simplest way I can put this, and then <laughs> we get, like, a historical account of the Greek and Arab and Latin. Yeah, but well, this, just... this, okay, but,
2: the, like, the, <laughs> no, but you, I, <laughs> I have to paraphrase the Greek, like, because I really haven't looked at this stuff since my early 20s. And I,
0: I didn't know detail. that. What yeah. you just said today, I didn't yeah. know but that, that makes sense. He came to life again. Like, mm-hmm. he was renewed in
1: life. Yeah, so That's thanks. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, tattoos and piercings, yay or nay? Personally? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, what does the church say? Is it a sin to have a, pay, a tattoo or a, a piercing? I, well, I can tell, I can tell yeah. you some things. The Old Testament does have a part where it talks about piercings and tattoos and actually says, do not do this. But that's in the Old Testament, and that's kind of in the where it talks about wash your hands and wash your... And so we know from, if you've listened to uh, the Bible in the year, when God has a specific order, sometimes, these or, sometimes he gives commandments or gives instruction or laws and rules um to confine a wild people that just came out of the desert and had no like they were slaves they had no order or way of doing things and god gave them very strict ways of doing things so that he could form them into a proper people um, and then some of those are, are like we can eat pork now and we can and you know like all those we don't have to wash our hands 25 yes. million times a day yeah. religiously um, so there are certain things. And so it does talk about don't tattoo your skin or pierce your skin like the Canaanites, or I can't remember exactly, but it was like, like these other people do for their gods. Don't do that for me. I don't want you to do that for me. I think that the tattoo and piercing fall into that category where it's more like don't wash your, I mean, yeah. you, you don't eat pork, but now we kind of can. It'd be dependent on why you're doing it. Yeah. What's the purpose? Are you doing it to, to adore or worship the thing that you're tattooing sometimes it's a memory of a person or a a, a place you know you're doing it because I hey, went to uh i don't know jamaica and i love jamaica so i got a little tattoo on my ankle for jamaica or you know things like that or, or or for my mom or for my dad or for my son my daughter whatever the case may be yeah i think as long as we're not putting those in place of worship or god yeah. i think that's whereas in god what god was saying was some people do that and 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 specifically these old testament people did that don't do that for yeah. me i don't want you to do that for me. So. so if the question is, is it a sin to get a tattoo, I, I, I would say no. I think it's the intent. Yes. you exactly. probably say
2: no and probably add the, the qualification. Like, and, and the New Testament saying, treat your bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. That's right. That, um, like I, and I mean, for our big 60th episode, we're all getting... Tattoos. No. Catholic <laughs> <buzz> tattoos, Catholic boys tattoos, big microphones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. In, in the most conspicuous. Uh,
1: Pierce scenes, yeah. we mentioned tattoos but Piers. The same thing. Same, same I, thing. I think the yeah. same thing. Exactly. It, Again, okay, it comes down to intent. Why? What is the intent of you doing this? Now, unless your tattoo is very offensive. Of course. Like if you've tattooed your body to offend God. Well then, yeah, you that's, know, that's, that's offensive. That's, and, and it prompt. ain't coming off. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and, and, and I would say sinful if you yeah. if you've blasphemed God through a tattoo, yeah. just like you blasphemed God through your words or actions. That would be sinful. But in general, a tattoo on your body, not
1: sinful. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's probably going to be a matter of opinion, a matter of, matter of the opinion. matter of opinion, yes. Uh, all right. Can you receive communion more than once a day? Um, yes, you can, but not more than twice. And that's, and that's kind of the official teaching without special permission from the bishop or something that's like that? That's right. Yeah. Not more than twice. And, and actually, even for priests, you know, you're only allowed to celebrate so many
0: masses per day until you get special permission from the bishop. So, uh, you know, I mean, during a it, during a normal course of, of the day for a priest, you might have a funeral, a wedding, and a, a, daily a mass, a, a mass yeah. and maybe a special mass, First communion or something like that. Like, it happens when you have these occasions. Because on certain days in the church's calendar, it says, today's Christmas Eve, a priest may celebrate up mm. to three masses. Oh, yeah. Which means, if that's the case for Christmas Eve, you shouldn't be doing that.
1: On a regular, regular days, day, days. Yeah.
0: right? But because of our situation now, you know, you have one priest uh, with, with uh, a uh, uh, ten two people, churches, three churches yeah. or three churches, or, and, and yeah. right now, even there's a different, yeah. yeah. So, but can someone receive communion more than once per day? Yes. So, let's say a volunteer or someone is at the nine o'clock mass and at 11 o'clock mass, yeah. they can receive communion at both. But if they come back for the later in the yeah. afternoon mass, they shouldn't, mm-hmm. right? Or, let's say they're at a funeral in the morning and Sunday and uh, the Saturday Vigil Mass, you know, so yes, they can receive uh, Eucharist at both, but not more than twice in one day. One day. Perfect. Okay,
1: uh, I'm going to tie these two in together, uh, which might mean a four-minute answer, but uh, something mentioned on passing uh, episode 46, Spiritual Works of Mercy, raised a question that's been on my mind more and more. Are there any signs that someone who passed away is in heaven? And then they go on to talk about people that they that have passed. And then I'm going to say another question is why do we pray for the dead? Mm-hmm. So they both kind of fit into that spiritual act of mercy. So um, can we? Are there signs that do the Catholic have signs that someone entered into heaven?
2: You'd say yes, yes for some people, uh, but not necessarily for everyone. Yeah. Um, but like there are there are people that the Church recognizes as saints um, that you know they have evidence from their life. They have you know record that they go through the beatification process. Um, and there's normally that, two
1: miracles attributed.
2: Yes, and but it, that's not to say that only the people that the church Tributes. identifies as saints are saints. Um, and that, you know, e- even even if you don't have, you know, the church giving the stamp of, of approval, that we can have a reasonable degree of confidence based on how people live their lives, um, that people dying in friendship with god um that know like uh that new god in life that strove to um you know live a holy and pleasing life you can you can have a reasonable degree of confidence that you know they've
0: they're in heaven they're yeah in heaven now. and and yes exactly like even people in my own life who have, are important to me whatever you know i uh, some of them you know, like, this person very likely is in heaven, uh, and you pray for their intercession, and you start to see or, or feel things, you know, given through maybe their intercession, things like that. So there are definitely signs to tell uh, if someone is in heaven. I know um, people say, like, you know, there's this there's this uh, thing that people do where it's like everyone who dies is Goes in heaven. heaven immediately. And uh, that's just not helpful for people, you know, because...
1: Well, I think a um, lot of times, I don't know about you, but I've been to funerals where they talk about this person, and it is like a, it's a funeral being done, and maybe a church service or anything else, and they're saying this person's in heaven, and I'm thinking, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah. Not in a bad way, but just thinking they didn't actually live their life that way. They, like the funeral's done at the church because of someone else's wishes, you know, not necessarily the person's wishes or anything else. Now, not to say that they aren't in heaven or that they're not eventually going to get to heaven maybe in purgatory, yeah. we can pray them into heaven.
0: And well, Yes, and then that goes into your second question, is, why, why do we, we pray, pray for, for the, the dead? dead? Yeah. Exactly, we pray for the dead to, like especially praying for the souls in purgatory is very important yeah. and I always say you know if our prayers help souls move from purgatory to heaven imagine the reward we get <laughs> from that soul who has entered heaven
1: yeah
0: like imagine how much they would help us if if our mm. prayers have been helpful that's why we we have mass intentions as well mm. right when we pray for the souls in purgatory when we pray for people who are who have died we're 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 attributing the grace that's happening at the mass—that's uh, you know the 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 Eucharist being consecrated, the the Word of God being spoken into the community—all that grace is being attributed to this person who the mass is being offered for, right? So we offer mass when someone dies for people. That is to assist them to to move into heaven,
1: right? And we, and we know we know throughout the Bible that God has not changed His mind, but like. Abraham prayed on behalf of Lot, and and God yeah. said, "I'm going to smite this." And then Abraham prayed on behalf of Lot, and said, "If I do this, if I do this, if I do this," and like and, and God was willing to change His mind mm. um, on specific punishments or whatever else based on on the intercession of people, and that's throughout the Bible. God like, throughout. The, so knowing that our prayers do affect and do have do have some weight. Yeah. Um, but I would also say, no one knows the person's heart at the time of death or mm-hmm. what happens just after. Exactly. And so what like what. Uh, I heard one priest say one time, the way you get to hell is by condemning yourself to hell. Now, how you take those words and how you can understand those words are different. But a lot of people, like, maybe they don't believe in God's... If you've lived your life not believing in God's forgiven grace and mercy and love, then when you get to see him face to face, maybe that's what you say. Maybe they're like, yeah, you can't forgive me, I'm too sinful. Like, you're not going to forgive me. But, like, I always think of confession going the reason why regular confession is so important is because you constantly reflect on you not being worthy, but that Christ will forgive you and his mercy is abounding in love. And so you have that experience. So it's so easy to say like, okay, like if I ever get to those gates of heaven, I'd be like, God, I'm not worthy. You know this, Mm -hmm. but I know that your mercy is more than enough to save me. Like I have that experience in my life. I have that experience on a, monthly or once a year basis you know on an annual basis where i know that okay god's mercy is so overwhelming so powerful that doesn't matter what i do he loves me internally you know what i mean yeah so yeah. okay that's time for that that's question right. yeah
0: yeah yeah uh, and but that i think it's a, it was a great question there are i'd say yes there are signs
1: yeah okay when jesus says why have you forsaken me on the cross why did jesus say it what did he mean
2: yeah. um that's yeah uh, that's another question uh, like a, a lot of people ask because it, it seems out of character. It does, it's like, yeah. um, Especially with our discussion a couple weeks ago about the Trinity, that it's like, okay, that God the Father forsaking Jesus by, yeah,
1: um,
2: that that seems strange. Um, but uh, what what Jesus is actually doing is he's he's reciting Scripture, which was um, you know typical for a Jew. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was he was following the practice of um, reciting Psalm twenty two, um, and even even um, Orthodox Jews today will will recite. Psalm 22 um, on their deathbed or, or as they're as they're close to death, um, and interestingly, um, it's, it's not a uh, um, a forsaking as kind of being you know left and forgotten and lost. Um, that if you go through all all of um, Psalm 22, it's it's uh, it's a song about kind of the 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 sorrow associated with death, but being brought. Uh, to the kind of the joy of new life, or that. Um, so uh, this is where kind of Psalm 22 starts, and it's in a bit of a dark place, and you can you can see that kind of um, mirroring Christ's prayer in Gethsemane, that it's like if if it be your will, can this cup be taken from me? He doesn't stay in that place; he moves to not my will, but your will be done. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the that's the progression cool. of Psalm 22. So just just seeing this in isolation, it seems strange, but that it moves through. What, what's typically called the seven saves, but they're the specific references to various points in Psalm 22, which are Jesus's last words on earth.
1: That's cool. Yeah. There you go. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> this, this is why you're here. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so that's a good one, because that, that is that is a question. That, so it's cool that it, it goes... Um,
0: Psalm 22, look it up if you're listening. Yeah. Look it up.
1: That's it. Okay, um, okay this, one, this one's a, a, a more intense question. I'm going to read the whole thing, so hopefully... Um, I look forward to each every Tuesday checking out the Catholic Buzz. I enjoyed the talk on angels, and it got me thinking about babies who die before they can be baptized and where do they go? Um, this person had experience where they had their daughter born six weeks prematurely and lived only fourteen hours. Heard the comment now she's in heaven as a special angel. Can you give me the Catholic version as to what happens to the soul of a baby in such a case as this?
2: Um, well, yeah, there there, there, are, there are actually a couple things in that question that are worth um, noting. And, and some of this we've talked about in, in previous episodes about about baptism and because like the, the the reason this can be alarming for someone is that we, we believe that everyone um, is is born with the mark of the of original sin yeah. and that's that's where you know the conflict enters most people's mind that you know ju- God's j- perfect justice should require that everyone born in original sin be um, yeah be baptized because that's how we um, remove away. remove that initial mark yeah. um and you know it, it the most obvious question that follows that is okay what if what if not what if they um uh that um we are given baptism as a result of god's perfect mercy that it's um and there are two kind of takes on this that you know it, for people who just like can't get over the, they um prioritize god's justice to the exclusion of god's mercy and then you have kind of the other side of that it's like no, we don't need to. We don't need to baptize. God's just going to save everyone. or That yeah. they prioritize, you know, uh, oh, God's mercy. mercy over God's justice, and like both of those kind of err air in extremes. extremes yeah. yeah, where it's that that if God's mercy is perfect and God's justice is perfect, um, we can we can um, make reasonable deductions based on you know God's character. That it's like. Um, god has given us has given the church baptism as a means as you know the proper or the ordinary the ordinary the, the thing that we can do um, you know um, by our own efforts to ensure um, our salvation to ensure you know that that we're doing everything we can to um, separate ourselves from original sin right where that's not possible uh, we've talked before that you know God gives us the sacraments but God isn't bound by the sacraments exactly. that God can do what God will do yeah. Um, yeah. that you know it's if, if we didn't perform these acts you know God's hands are tied that's that's not not the case at all right. um, and we can again we can have a reasonable degree of confidence in God's mercy God's perfect mercy that you know a baby who has done nothing to um, you know warrant that um, the consequence of direct sin, that you know, God's mercy extend that far. I think that's I think that's fair to say. Yeah,
0: yeah that's great. You know, there is the ordinary way. There's extraordinary circumstances and everything. and yeah. God's not bound by the ordinary ways. And just to add, I don't yeah. I don't want to add uh, yeah. too much on this. But people used to believe in a thing called limbo. Yeah. Yes. You know, and that's not. No. what the church believes that Teaches. babies who who are not baptized go into a place called limbo.
1: That's not. Uh, no, I think it was just a yeah, it was okay. a misunderstanding and a misinterpretation of what that is. Um,
0: so yes, it's uh, yes, uh, you know, people who die do, it doesn't become, infants,
1: yeah, infants that die don't become angels, but they do yeah. their soul. Can their soul get to heaven? I think we, we sure of course that, they can. Yeah, that 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 yeah. God's mercy. Well, we don't God's mercy. Yeah. We can't put. Confines on God's mercy. He's given us a very specific way of getting to heaven and we know what that is. But when we come outside of that way, we can't we can't judge. Okay, good. All right. Next one. Why when we genuflect, what are we in fact genuflecting to in a church? okay so yes and
0: and it's really it's really neat because uh, i when when our kids are here for first communion we teach them this and and because lots of people don't genuflect anymore yeah uh, you know people think genuflection is an old thing no it's not it's a it's a it's a current thing it's a still a thing yeah. <laughs> and, so and it's something that we should be doing so if you've been taught that we are not to genuflect anymore. That is wrong. We are to genuflect. When you come into a church, any Catholic church in the entire world that you step foot in, uh, We, I teach my First Communion kids, We first we try and search for the tabernacle. In some churches, that's easier to find yeah. than others. Right? <laughs> uh, and then I said, if you're finding, if you're having a hard time finding it, look for the red light. Yeah. You know, because the there's always a, a candle lit beside the tabernacle. And if it's lit, that means Jesus is present in the tabernacle, right. okay? If there's no candle and no tabernacle, you're not in a Catholic church. So <laughs> <laughs> don't genuflect. <That's> good. <laughs> so why we're genuflecting is we look for the tabernacle and we genuflect towards the tabernacle. So uh, here in this church behind us, you can see the tabernacle in the center of the church. So when you come into this church, you can genuflect and you're genuflecting in the direction of the tabernacle, not not all churches are like that some churches have the tabernacle at the side of the room uh, some have it at the back of the church some have it in a different chapel uh, all the way so wherever direction jesus is in the tabernacle you should direct your body and genuflect towards the tabernacle a genuflection is reserved for the tabernacle the presence of jesus if you walk by a, an altar in a church uh, you are not to genuflect you are to bow. In this case, in this church, the tabernacle is behind the altar, so a genuflection to the tabernacle, uh, you know, but that's why we genuflect, to to show our reverence. Yes, and that is the way, that is the way we show our respect for Jesus in that sacrament, by genuflecting. Uh, now, the only case I would say, please don't genuflect, is if you have bad knees or poor health or if
1: you're going to genuflect and not get back up
0: exactly <laughs> then please don't genuflect yeah, yeah. but people you know but some show people some just sign of respect. yes then a bow would be fine yeah. but some people who choose to bow rather than genuflect for no reason whatsoever mm-hmm. that's wrong and we should be genuflecting
1: instead every time yeah every time and when we leave too then
0: and when we leave i always tell my first communion kids when you come into the church just like when you go into someone's house you say, hi, God. Yeah. So you genuflect, hi, God. And when you leave, you don't just leave. God. You, say, <laughs> you say bye to people when you leave their house. Bye, God, yeah. with a genuflection.
1: Good. Okay, this kind of falls in the same category. Are we supposed to make the sign of the cross after receiving communion? What is the proper response to communion? So, yes, you're supposed to actually show, I'm going to answer part of this, and you might want to correct. Uh, but you can, you're supposed to show a sign of reverence towards the Eucharist. Before you receive it, right. and so uh, beforehand, you are supposed to either genuflect, bow. Um, there's supposed to be some sign of reverence towards the Eucharist before you receive it, and so that's why sometimes you'll see. Not everybody does this anymore, mm-hmm. but now every now and then you see people genuflect or you see people bow right before, it, or even just a, a solemn. Head Bob before they before they receive. It's some act of reverence before they receive, and then afterwards, it's just proper to say, do the sign of the cross. I believe I, I during teaching first communion and all that kind of stuff, you would almost step aside and then make a reverent sign of the cross and then keep moving on. Is right. what we would normally say. And the proper response is thank you. No, it's Amen. <laughs> it's Amen. <laughs> so uh,
0: I hear it enough that I wasn't fazed by what you said. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so body of Christ, amen, amen. Which the amen response means?
0: So be it. So be
1: it, I believe. Uh, yeah. All that stuff, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, perfect. Okay, uh, just uh, on that note, yes, uh, you are, when you approach the Eucharist, to bow or like yeah. but in our diocese, we, we teach that a, pro- a profound bow yeah. before yeah. you approach the minister giving Eucharist, you accept the Eucharist, either in the hands or on the tongue right now, because right. of COVID, it's in the hands, uh, but amen is the only response. If you make a sign of the cross after, it's not mandatory yeah. but it's nice
1: yeah yeah, yeah. you you're professing your belief right? exactly the the quickest prayer all right are priests obligated to pray at certain times of the day certain amount of times and can uh, we can explain okay what happens sorry <laughs> what are the office of the hours and how does it apply to deacons and laity Uh, What happens if something interferes and do we make it up later?
0: Okay, so I think this question is referring to the Liturgy of the Hours, which is uh, a a set ritual of prayers that, uh, comprised of the Psalms that priests make a promise to pray. When they become a when, during when I was ordained a, a deacon a transitional deacon on the way to priesthood, I promised that I would pray every single day the liturgy of the hours the full liturgy of the hours which is five times a day we stop to pray, okay? So I promised that at my diaconate ordination by the grace of God I have not missed a day, <laughs> you know, since that. So it's five times a day we stop. Uh, you they're called the liturgy of the hours. Some people call them the office because the first one in the morning is called the office of the readings. Then there's morning prayer, yeah. midday prayer, evening prayer, and night prayer. Okay? So
1: five times a day we stop and pray. Uh,
0: so priests are obligated to pray all
1: of them. And can you do Because that?
0: we've promised
1: them. How how do you do that? Manage your busy day or whatever else. Yeah,
0: well, it's a promise you have. So every priest has a different schedule. I know mine, yep. so I I make sure I do the bulk of my praying uh, in the morning as much as I can with the with these hours, and then my own personal prayer time on top of that, right? And then throughout the day, you know, midday and evening prayer and night prayer. So uh, you know, I do my evening pr- my evening prayer is sort of all over the place depending on what my evening looks like. My night prayer is always right before bed. Uh, you know, so I, I and. But every priest has a different schedule. They have to work it in. They have, yeah. to, they have to make sure that they're praying those hours. Deacons, permanent deacons, I believe, um, are a uh, pray morning yeah. and evening prayer. So two times a day. A day. Yes. Uh, religious sisters, I, uh, Matt, uh, we were talking before, yeah. is uh, depends on their order. Uh, you know, I don't know which ones... Is mandatory to pray and which one's not who
1: take a bow and
0: yeah, yeah i don't know which ones and uh, but there are depends on the order and then laity are open to pray the liturgy of the hours so if, if that's something that's interested that you're interested you could you can ask us we can help you pray uh i have a four volume series about books this size this is a bible but it's something similar to this size and every day has your prayers set out and uh, you know, you just go along and pray every day. You might you might remember seeing priests walk around like with, with a book like this, <laughs> eh? And people just assumed it was a Bible. It was their breviary. We yeah. call it a breviary. And uh, now I don't carry my books around; I carry my phone around because so I have what's called an eye bravery.
1: I think most people probably could get it on their phone exactly. now if they wanted to, and it's for free. It's versus for free. Having to buy a book for
0: it. Yes. So, and what happens if someone interferes? Yes, that was the follow-up question. Yeah. I'm running out of time. I've been talking too long. Can you, can you just pile them
1: up and say them later? You,
0: if you know, if a <laughs> if a priest does not pray his, his breviary because he's promised, he's broken that promise, and. I would say that he is uh, Going to in, in, in <laughs> has to confess that, yes. Uh, but interesting, in the 1983 code of canon law, it used to be uh, the wording was uh, under the pain of mortal sin, oh, yeah. priest. They removed that wording, but still, a priest is still morally bound and by their promise to pray the Liturgy of the Hours. So do you make it up the next day? No, it's too late. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's no pushing it off. There's no pushing do it off. Do it when you're supposed to do exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> okay, uh, how many questions we got left for? Uh,
0: we have time for... Oh, we have a few questions
1: left. Okay, yeah, perfect. Um, when is the creed said or slash required during Mass? And uh, when is it not said?
0: Okay, I lied about more a couple of questions time because I re- misread the time. But uh, we'll answer this. So, is, when is the Creed said and required during uh, Mass? Yeah. The Apostles' Creed is required to be said at Sunday Mass, any solemnities, and certain feast days like those of the Apostles. Okay. So, if it's a feast of the Apostle, definitely the Apostles' Creed. During a regular Mass that's not like a let's say a weekday Mass or uh, yeah. a, a funeral, or it might be, you don't have to pray. You don't have to proclaim. The apostles
1: creed but during a solemnity sundays solemnities oh, any big feast sundays
0: certain feast days like the apostles
1: yes okay perfect okay i think that's do we have more time i got more questions
0: uh, do we have a quick one and because we are past way way, way past
1: okay no we're, we're, then we're done yeah okay
0: well that's it because we're over time people are tired of us talking anyways uh <laughs> they're gonna have the
1: whole summer off they're gonna have the whole
0: summer off from hearing from us. that was a bunch of great questions we had today sorry if it took so long to get to those questions, because some people emailed us these questions a long time ago. But there you go, we answered them. I, I do hope uh, you have a great summer. We, we, so we we just quickly, we made the decision to pause for the summer just because of our schedules, and uh, we've been going for 59 episodes in a row without, without every a break, week, yeah. every <laughs> week. And we thought this was a good time to pause. Uh, and we will come back in the fall with our 60th episode. With new tattoos. (laughs) And uh, we will. uh, But in the meantime, people can still email us at the Catholic Buzz podcast at gmail.com. There's people who work behind the scenes who uh, for the Catholic Buzz podcast, uh, Sam, Kevin and Dave, they are looking forward to a summer off as well. (laughs) Just as much as we are. Yes, exactly. Uh, So please pray for Matt. He will be lonely this summer. (laughs) (laughs) without us around. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) We're going to stay in touch. Yes. So thank you uh, for watching uh, today's episode. And we, that's it for the summertime. That's Uh, it it for the summer. And we'll see you for the 60th episode when we come back. Uh, My name is Father Nieli and uh, Josh Sullivan here. Matt Van Milligan.
1: We'll see you in the fall on the Catholic Buzz.